Welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. I'm David Keir and I'm excited to kick off Dental Head Start in 2024. We've got a whole bunch of stuff planned or excited about this year, a few different voices and a few different types of content. But this first episode actually came before the planned season and that's because it really caught my eye. We're all about helping dental students become great dentists. And I was online and I saw a post that really caught my eye. It was Dr. Raghu Chanapati and he was talking about how he wants to help graduates become confident, competent and resilient dentists. And I think that really resonates, right? We all come out, we, we need to build our confidence, we need to become competent and we need to be resilient. There's so much that goes into that, but I love the way Raghu has, has distilled this down into 10 key points. These 10 points are points he's going over in a webinar he's doing for graduates this year. This is being released around the time of the first one and he's running another one soon. So if you're listening to this when we release it, then you might be able to catch that whole webinar. But hopefully in this podcast, we can give you a glimpse into the information that he feels helps graduates who join him in his practices. Dr. Chanapati is actually a pretty special guy. He's um, trained in India, done the ADC and come over. He's actually a prosthodontist in India and came over at ADC as a general dentist. And I think that in itself has a lot of lessons and, and interesting ups and downs in the journey. Of course, coming from India to Australia, working and practicing in another language and having some difficult barriers there, especially being regional, really interesting aspects of his journey. So I hope you find the way that Dr. Raghu Chanapati breaks this down as interesting and helpful as I did, especially the last point, his five E's and three R's of professional success. I just think he's thought this all through and therefore I think it will really help you and I'm glad to be releasing this as our first episode for 2024. I want to thank you all for your continued support and and appreciate obviously over the break we've just had hanging around and, and listening and learning in 2024 with us. We've got some exciting things coming up and I hope to announce some of that through social media and other things in the very near future. But for now, I hope you enjoy the interview with Dr. Raghu Chanapati. Dr. Raghu Chanapati, thank you so much for joining us on the Dental Head Start podcast. Same here, David Kaye. It's uh, wonderful to catch up with you. As you know, as many people know, our mission, our purpose is to help dental graduates become great dentists. And a post you just made on uh, DPR really caught my eye. It's pretty much trying to help do the same mission. We're going to talk a lot about that and talk a bit about yourself and, and your journey to where you are and giving advice to graduates. But tell us a bit about what's inspired you to make a webinar to help dental graduates become confident, competent and resilient dentists. I had a same journey when I moved from India to here. I was like a fresh graduate, even though I had a bad experience back home in India. But when I started here, it was like a complete fresh graduate. Uh, I was going through some tough time and then slowly I started uh, streamlining myself and then got into the group. But when I started my own business, Again, I was seeing the same type of the hurdles for my associates who were joining me, no matter how much their experience was. At the same time, when I started seeing the fresh graduates coming into the business, and then I was seeing the same issues. So I thought if I give these or share my experience and share my journey to the fresh graduates, it may make their job easy because I was always thinking in our business or in the dentistry, there are four components, the dentist, the team, the clients, and the business. Everyone were affected by these hurdles 
in the first few years of the dentist. So I thought if I am sharing my experience, it's not only the dentist, all the four components will get benefit. So that's why I thought I'll just start working. That's a really, really good point is that in the end, our ability to make our treatment better or our processes better, our connection with team better, our efficiencies better impacts all of those things. As you said, it's the impacts us, less stress, but also our patients, the team that work with us, you know, less stress and they're happier. But then like the business as well. And all these things are critical to having a successful dental um, career. So I think that's fantastic. And you actually pointed out something that I'd love to touch on a bit more, and I think we will, is that you felt some of these stresses as a recently immigrated dentist. And so you had skills. In fact, you had a lot of skills, but then you had some other challenges that were similar. And I'd love to touch a bit on that. So Tell us a bit about your training. So trained in India, share a bit about that journey and how that was for you. I graduated from India. I was studying in a college, a South Indian college near Bangalore and graduated there and also post-graduated in the prosthodontics and I was teaching for almost three and a half to four years. So all my life I was going through dealing with patients as well as dealing with my friends and associates as well as the uni students. So I know the journey, how a student goes and transform into a private clinician or the public health dentist. So that was my journey. And when I moved from India to here, I had to relearn some of the things what a fresh graduate will do. In my case, the language my, was a bit of a barrier. My pronunciation, my words, as well as the local people's uh, pronunciations, their words and way of uh, talking was a bit of a hurdle. On top of that, the dental expectations by the local uh, Australians was slightly different than what I was trained in in India. Uh, the third thing was the business structure was different because every procedure is known by the item numbers and then there are so many views at looking at an item number from the patient's point of view, how much it costs, from the business point of view, how much we need to charge, from the health fund's point of view, how many times we need to charge one item number per day. So many things were there, which these things were affecting the dentistry. For example, I mean to say, if we want to do a simple procedure, in my opinion, if I have to do if I can do a procedure in 10 minutes to 45 minutes, maximum 45 minutes, to understand the patient's concern, follow the guidelines by the health funds as well as the item numbers and uh, educate the patient, it was taking more time, which is affecting the business, which is also affecting the uh, patients, everything. So those are the some of the things which was making my job my, my journey a bit hard. So that's where I started learning a lot. That's what you and I today, I would say that dentistry, what we learn in the dental uni is around, makes up for around 40 to 45%, whereas everything else will make up for 50 to 60%. That's my experience and opinion. I definitely resonate with that and I think I've heard it said many times. What I would also say is that the universities do a great job in making us safe but not necessarily effective or efficient and those effective, efficient and you know, doing good quality work in a reasonable amount of time 
is an important goal because that's what our patients need and want. They don't want to hang around for an excessive amount of time in the clinical setting. So that is an important thing. I can imagine a lot of those challenges you would have gone through in that time as you moved across language barrier, among other things. How did you, like, we'll get into your the, the advice you'll have for graduates and all these things may cross over, but how did you personally manage that? And did you find you struggled a lot there? And how did you manage your own personal challenge there? I would say my best friends were my team members. So every time the patient talks something, if I don't get it, I used to look at my dentist. Yes. <laughs> and then she used to explain me what is happening. Mm. And whenever I am talking, my patient, if they don't get it, they look at the dentist <laughs> and she used to tell. So that was my, that's when I realized, wow, mm. I need my team. That's why I call my team members as co-pilots. Yeah. And I tell them, guys, you make my job easy. And can you believe that this is not a practice by many of our uh, uh, associate dentists, the people who are coming into my team, they still, there is a big gap by the dentist to consider the team members as their co-pilots. I see that big gap there because uh, both the experienced dentist as well as the fresh graduates they just think that, oh, even I was doing the same. I was thinking, I know dentistry, I can deal with this one, but the communication was a barrier. Mm. So my team helped me a lot. And yeah. that's how I realized team plays an important role between me and them. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I think whether there's a language challenge or not, or whether it's an experience challenge or not, there's always something the other person in the room is picking up. Sometimes in the moment, sometimes maybe after, and, and graduates in particular, but all of us, uh, me and yourself included, need to listen to that advice after. I, I love it. An experienced dental assistant is worth their weight in gold. Tell us a little bit, we'll keep um, going through your history a bit, because I was very interested to learn you studied prosthodontics in India. So would you, you were a registered specialist in India and then came across as a general dentist. How did you find that transition? Did you enjoy yeah. going back to general or were you, do you desperately miss a specialty? It, it, my answer is yes and no. The reason is when I was uh, working as a specialist uh, prosthodontist, I was just dealing with the uh, crown and bridges, full arch cases and the removable prosthodontics and I was really happy really enjoying that. But at the same time, I was missing the surgical procedures for extractions as well as the root canals and all these things, restorative work for the kids. I was missing, but not much. But when I came here, when I had an interaction with a couple of the prosthetists, wow, their dentures and the cost partial dentures were amazing. I thought, wow, that would be better and make my job easier. I can save a lot of time in referring them to them as well as I can just concentrate on the fixed boss as well as the full mouth rehabs. So I was happy that I have wonderful uh, dental technicians here, prosthetists who they take care of the denture works and all the stuff. At the same time, I could uh, concentrate mainly on the fixed and the reconstructions. So only thing I am missing is teaching. I was working in a dental uni. And I love dealing with the fresh graduates, not only fresh graduates, the students and then guiding them and then seeing the rewards. Uh, that's the thing which I'm missing. That's why I thought, okay, this is one way of continuing my passion. 
giving back, I guess, is, yes. is what it is, isn't it? And I, I see that you do that through your business. You do, you know, employee associates, some of them being graduates, um, and now, you know, doing this webinar and, and, and continuing to give what you can back in a teaching capacity. Tell us a bit about where you practice, and I'm assuming you own, is it multiple practices? Or? Yes. Yes, I am working in Mackay, and uh, I do have uh, one, my own practice, and the two other uh, associates. Uh, business association with the other uh, practitioners. So totally, I deal with the three dental surgeries in Makai and Serena. Yes, it is a bit of a journey. I like it because of the number of uh, uh, clinicians I'm dealing with and number of the patients I can help. But at the same time, the business aspect is definitely taking its toll. I think everyone is the same. Not many dentists enjoy the business part. I see around few of them really enjoy the business part. But if you ask me where I would like to spend more time, I would like to spend more time in the clinical part rather than the business part. Yeah, it's definitely very different skills. I personally recently acquired my first practice and wow. yeah, it's a, it's been a busy year. We also had a baby this year. So I've been very busy, hence why my voice has not been as um, common on this podcast as it used to be, but it will come back, I promise. Yes, yes. Put it like this. Your business is another baby. Yeah. <laughs> if you ask me, uh, you need to do the same thing what you do for your own baby at the business. Mm. And another advice I would say is whatever you do it onto the business, same thing you need to do it for a kid as well. Many times we forget to suck. It means give the love and time, whatever it needs for the kids. As a dentist, you become very directed towards the clinical skills and CPD courses and spend more time there. My honest advice, please give the equal time for both of them. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good advice. So twins and look after both equally wow. and yes, similarly. Yes, yes. Oh, fair enough. All right. So in that group of practices, there's three. How many employee uh, dentists would you have? So we are almost around eight of us, apart from me, totally, including me, around eight. Uh, so few of them are uh, good, experienced uh, associates. I'm very happy to have them. The other ones, around four of them are less than two years of experience. But looking at them, wow, they are definitely much better than what we were. When we <laughs> yes. were graduated 20 years ago, we were very slow in picking up. But yeah. these guys are next generation. Yeah, if they've got the passion next and the level, hunger for it, yes, the, there's yes, a quick, quick to grow, um, yes. and especially with someone like yourself with your skills, particularly the pros skills and all the rest of it, I think that sounds pretty exciting. So one of the reasons we're connected, as as I said before, is because you're doing a webinar just to try and get it broader than this, you know, this group of eight clinicians. You can get it to more like a hundred, hopefully, or or maybe a thousand through this podcast. But I want you to well, hopefully go through a few of those points. You said there's ten points that are things that you don't feel are covered in university. And I'd love to go through a few of them if that's all right. I think we we touched on one before, which was connecting with your team and working with your team. Um, do you want to expand on that and some of the other aspects of connection? Because I think I love that that's number one. That is literally my primary value in my business, integrity and then connection and connection with team, patients, as you say, specialists and dental techs, the whole lot. Um, tell us a bit about that. Yes, put it by this, I chose three topics to talk to my friends, the people who are entering the profession. Number one is the being confident. Number two is being competent. And number three is resilient. 
the first three topics which I am talking connection and ecosystem as well as the practicing is to deal with the connection or deal with the confidence. We will be confident if we connect well with the patients and patients will be confident with us if they can trust us, they know us and they can talk freely with us. As I said, if we can connect with the patient as well as the, my team in the same way so that uh, they can share everything, whether we are doing right or wrong, then it makes our job very easy. That's what I felt when I started my journey, I could not understand the patients. And that's where my dental assistant, who was a big connection between me and the patient, which helped me to understand the patient better. If I am able to understand better, then I can provide the better service. And I still see a big barrier between the connection. We don't connect with the dental assistants as well as the receptionists. And we see a big problem. Many a times, our balance will be affected if my dental assistant is not doing the job properly, if they are not providing the right materials, or if they are not fast enough for me, then my quality of the work will be affected. And uh, many a times I have seen a big post in the uh, DPR as well as everywhere. Our team is unable to understand us. And there is a big problem and the dental assistants are not turning up on time. They are not uh, ready for our instruments. They don't know what instrument I'm using. Even after telling 100 times, they do the same mistake. These are all happening because of the connection. If we connect well, uh, they, they connect well with us and they can work like co-pilots. I guess in, it's, it's empowering them to, to feel that they're making that difference as well. And I think it is easy for in a certain practice culture for a DA to just think they're just a DA, which I, I hate the word I'm just a anything really, but a DA or a, I'm just a receptionist. Like you're, you're the front of the practice. You're the first, you're the thing that person that helps reduce anxiety as someone comes in. It's, it's crucial. And so, yeah, I, I really resonate with that. And I think us as dentists and associates, we can help empower and help the culture and help that whole overarching system, I think. I would like to tell one more thing about connection with the patient. If we connect with the patient, they become the best advocates. Mm. Even if mm. something goes wrong, they feel that, oh, Dr. Raghu did, or for example, this particular dentist did all is possible what he can do, but still the things go wrong, it's okay. But if they don't connect with us, if something goes wrong, they just doubt us. Oh, is he competent? Something like that. Mm. So that's what I have seen. And it's a very important for case acceptance. Most of the patients, most of the times, they just come in to see us before they want to get a, a full mouth rehabs or anything. If the first interaction, if we don't connect with them, then they will say, oh, he's not the right dentist for me to spend more time or spend more money or something like that. So that's where the connection is very important with clients as well. It can even be subconscious, can't it? I think, you, and you would see this, you've been in Mackay now for well, 15 years and yes. you'll have patients come back who didn't even realize that they were on the path towards maybe a rehab. 
And if that makes sense to someone listening, if you move around a lot, you won't see those patients who come back and say, oh, you know, I've been thinking about this for ages and you're the, you know, I trust you. I I, I work a a little way away from where I once worked and I see patients still come and find me and say, you know, we had that connection and they're willing to travel over an hour for that connection. So you're preaching to the choir with me there. Tell us about the other. So confidence is the three kind of points for confidence. One of them is the connection with the the broad team, patients, specialists, etc. And what are the other things that help with confidence? Yeah, confidence also helps with the knowing your ecosystem. For example, we are driving a new car. We will not be confident. We don't know where this switch is there and all the stuff. So we'll be always stressful. Same thing happens with our ecosystem. What type of material, what we use, what type of dental chair we use, how we make an X-ray, all those things will affect our confidence. If we know everything, then we only, only thing we need to worry about when a consultation is happening is a patient. I have seen so many of my associates, even I was doing the same thing. When we don't know the right type of the way to handle the X-ray machines to make a radiology, a radiography, or we don't know the dental software to do all these things, then we tend to get distracted and that affects our confidence. For example, if I'm a fresh graduate and I am uh, loading a handpiece and we don't know whether it is going forward or backwards, especially the slow speed, and we just hit the pressure and then the bird starts running in the reverse direction, it just uh, moves out of the way and it can affect the cheeks. That is affecting, the, I, I have seen this happening with the fresh graduates, even happened with me and the, in a new s- system, a new surgery, and that's why your confidence depends on your ecosystem. Know everything before the patient comes or before you start a job, go to the place, touch every button, play with everything. Make sure you know the system. It's, I always say that you are the pilot and your associate is a co-pilot and you should know your aircraft, how it works, how to connect with the receptionist and how to connect with the lab system, how to increase the speed of a drill or whatever it is. Birds, for that matter, what birds we have, how do we use it, all stuff. So that would subconsciously build your confidence. You don't have to distract while you are dealing with the patient. Exactly. And the patient can feel that confidence. Yes. They can yes. tell if you're not sure. Yes. <laughs> and that, and yes. then you, you lose point one because you don't know your e- ecosystem. You lose your connection. So fantastic points. Fantastic points. The next point is obviously with confidence, we need to know what we're doing. And so tell us a bit about that. Practice your skills. What do you suggest? What do you see? What helps? My honest advice on this is I have interviewed more than 25 fresh graduates and I'm asking, okay, how many root canals you have done? None of them has done more than 10 cases. And I have interviewed almost uh, all universities. Some of the students who are done in the remote areas where they have a free hand, they have done more than five, six cases but none of them have not done the 10 completion of the root canals. Or or put it like this, they don't know six months follow-up of their own cases. That is absolutely okay when we are students, it happens. But what is stopping them to practice 10 root canals on an extracted tooth before they attempt into the uh, patient? The reason is whether you locate the third canal or the fourth canal in the extracted tooth or in the mouth is almost the same. If you have done these 10 cases, for that matter, 10 crown preparations, mount your teeth, 
practice it. We are lucky that we can see the extracted teeth. It's not like a heart surgeon. They don't get the extracted heart or something like that. So that's what I say. No matter where they are, practice all the things, what you can do, like the tooth preparations, cavity preparations, building up the cusps, building up the anatomy, building or uh, doing the access opening and all those things. And even for that matter, uh, I always say that prepare the teeth and then send it to the lab technician and ask them what modifications or improvement they can do. So they have seen more than thousand preparations. They can guide you what's the best way, what they can improve rather than waiting for the patient. And then we are struggling a lot in the patients. I have seen the fresh graduates taking more than 90 minutes for a single non-vital tooth preparation where they should do within 30 minutes to 45 minutes unless, unless it is a difficult case because they can practice it outside. Before the patient comes, they can practice it's extractions we cannot practice, but more than 30 to 45% of our dental procedures we can practice on the models. So that's what I would say. If you do the 10 root canals, then just imagine how would be your confidence when the patient comes and then you just work better and the patient can feel it, you feel it happy and your dental assistant can feel that, wow, for a fresh graduate, he's doing wonderful job because before we know our dental associates, uh, dental assistants will know how good we are. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> yes. so, so, so we need to consider all these things when we have a time, practice it. That's what yeah. my honest advice would. And I think something, an opportunity to do that is often when as a new graduate in many positions, you will have a little bit of white space in your book. You might not be fully booked and that's probably a good thing. It gives you a bit of debrief time. Yes. You know, you can do your notes, but you can do all these things, but you can practice. Um, and I don't think any practice that genuinely supports a graduate would have any issue with you spending the time and materials on practicing because in the end, that is net benefit for both the practice and yourself. So uh, I love it. That's great. Yes. At the same point, many of the business owners will be a bit concerned when you are doing the first root canal or a first crown preparation or anything because they still don't know how well you can do, the fresh graduate can do. So in such case scenario, you, the, if the fresh graduate is preparing and then showing them, hey, this is what I can do, then they will be confident. They can send a case to you. That's, what, that's how what's, uh, it is an opportunity to show your employer Hey, you're done a good, good uh, hire. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> that's that's a fantastic point, and and that's right. Yes. Um, there's a lot riding on you as a new graduate, if you are, because in the end, a practice is trusting their patients with you and their reputation, and so it is. I think the onus is on you to do great dentistry for your patients, but also I think as part of your job, you know, you got to do your best. Absolutely, yeah. So that's a good point. All right, so that's confidence. That's gaining your confidence. It's uh, early on, and then we're becoming competent that's the next point of your three points i love the way you've laid this out i think it's fantastic so let's talk a bit about competence how do you gain some of that competence? competency comes with how well we do the procedure the patient accepts to give an opportunity for us to do a filling or identify a problem or extract and all the stuff and when they give an opportunity then we need to do it better so that's where the competency comes into picture i found that competency can be affected or can be improved by i know we have learned a lot in dental university but these are the few factors which can improve our competency one is the magnification i still see a lot many dentists are still reluctant to take 
the magnification even though they have a magnification they just have one or two x or 2.5 x that is good that is much better than none and uh, some of the overseas dentists are still reluctant to take the magnification because it is not popular in all all parts of the world now in saying that i was the same when i started my journey in australia i was not using the magnification for almost first three to four years and at that time i was young i could see better over a period of time i can see there's something happening for my eyes and then i start switching on to magnification then i can see better and identify better and then provide the best quality another uh, reason why i ended up in saying magnification is good it helps in uh, better uh, diagnosis i have seen so many problems were just missed because of poor magnification people did not have enough magnification or they did not have proper tools to identify the things how can i say that i still see so many people are coming from the different parts of the country to hokai and then i say oh i've been visiting the dentist from last uh, 10 years 5 years 7 years and there's still some undiagnosed issues how did this happen maybe the previous dentist did not use the magnification or he thought that it is okay to uh, observe rather than provide the treatment and then those teeth which were kept under observation they ended up in cracking i do also do that one if the tooth is not symptomatic i tend to watch but the same tooth if i see under magnification i can see wow how deep the cavity is or how deep the crack is and does it need a some reinforcement straight away or can it wait so this is one of the areas which i found diagnosis is very important and magnification also help us to see how well we did after the procedure for example class 5 fillings where when we are doing the procedure we don't see the margins or we don't see the bevels and all the stuff maybe 3 months later or 6 months later when the patient comes back for a uh, review that's when we see how well was the adaptation of the margin of a class 5 restorations because we can see the plaque formation as well as the uh, stains around the margins with magnification we know how well we have done or how well we can improve so that's why i say magnification really helps our confidence I think I definitely agree and you raise a good point with magnification helps you diagnosis helps you understand what's going on and I think there's a the next point actually ties in really well with that because once we can see it well like we we've got these 3 4x whatever you're wearing how do the patients see it and so you, your next point's really fantastic which is photography something I totally agree with from a for me it's mainly a patient communication tool I don't go posting very much on or any on social media it's very much just to help my patients understand it's a diagnostic tool and a treatment planning tool tell us about photography and your vision and how you recommend it to being used in practice yeah so whenever uh, a fresh graduate or any for that matter whoever is uh, starting in my surgery i say hey please make the photos before and after and after the patient is gone pop that photo blow it 10 times and then watch so that is one factor which helped myself to improve myself so that i could see wow this i could have improved this i could have improved next time i should do this one and all those stuff so that is how the photography is helping me to improve myself my quality of the work and my dicks and also you are right 
photography definitely helps in education and showing the patient why we need to do what we need to do all those things but uh, it also it improves your competency in case conversions it uh, it also helps in telling them if there is a problem from a tooth why it is happening so that the patient can understand better and then they will spend time and money and resources to improve their condition at the same time the photographs also i use to discuss with my colleagues and my peers and my mentors usually whenever i am dealing with a high bit of high end case or a complex case i just share that with my mentors and uh, seek their advice whenever i am going to a courses i will take my cases before and afters and during uh, the step by step and then show to the course providers and then ask their advice and ask their honest feedback some of them will tear me apart and say wow what you have done and sometimes they say yeah you have done a good job so both are good for me to improve myself yeah you're and learning fact, yeah. yes i am learning and if you see any person who is doing a course or performing a course or providing a online education or the in house education they have a data of almost 10 years so that's again photographs they started making the photographs 10 from last 10 to 15 years and that's why they have a wealth of uh, knowledge and the experience and then proof that this is how they did and this is how they are improved themselves and this is how you can do so same thing will be good for the fresh graduates if they start making the photographs now then years down the line they may be providing some courses they may be educating some other cohort so that's why i asked them to do the photographs from the day one dental implants are now the standard of care but for me it was something i was lacking i knew quite a bit about implants i'd done a fair bit of theory but i'd never placed an implant i was looking for someone to take me from 0 to 1 to 100 and on and that's why i partnered with mordent i found the support from their initial coursework through to placement of my first implant and then doing the live surgery course overseas was incredible i've now placed a number of implants i feel so much more confident and it's truly sparked a love and an interest in a whole new facet of dentistry as always we're offering our listeners a discount to help you get involved and help you go from 0 to 1 to 100 If you're looking to take the first step into implants or if you're someone who has some experience and wants to take it further, check out dentalheadstart.com/moredent and get started on your implant journey. And if you work it into your process, then it really doesn't take much time. I think that's the the big thing as well and just making it part of your process. So, the next one's LA and isolation. In the interest of time what I'm going to say is come to the webinar if you want to learn more about that one and I'm sure all these are going to have more content around them but I want to get to the one after that which is know when to stop how to stop and when to consider your plan B that is pretty important like we've got to realize that we don't all have to be magicians I guess for lack of a better word there are people who are better than us and that is more than okay and sometimes a patient needs to go there sometimes we have to have another option to temporize whatever I, i don't know i'm maybe extrapolating what do you think about that what do you give advice on that these are the two things which i put it into the resiliency part so resiliency a part of your resiliency is to know when to stop or know how to not get into the trouble when we are fresh graduates or our ego 
will be guiding us so many times, which will tell, oh, you can do this extraction. Or this root canal is straightforward. Or this uh, crown prep is straight or something like that. And when we are doing the procedure, the things don't go according to the plan. And then we will be just thinking in our own way and then keep on doing the same thing for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, still the tooth doesn't come out when we are doing extraction. Then we need to know, wow, there is something which I have missed or something I need to do differently to achieve this. So that is where what means uh, I say know when to stop. The best guide is before we start the process, we should know approximately how much time it should take and try to stick to that. If we are taking more time than what we anticipated, then we need to say, yeah, it is time to stop or time to plan B or time to think something different or am I missing something? Same thing happened with me when I, I'll put, I'll be honest, when I was training the pros and doing the uh, teaching of the prosthodontics and then doing consultation only about the prosthodontics, suddenly I am in uh, Australia and doing the root canals. I have not done the root canals for almost five to seven years and then you are forced to do the root canals because you are a general dentist. That's when I realized, wow, it is not as simple as I was thinking. Plus, when I started the root canals for the posteriors, and uh, then I realized I ran into some complications because we are the regional area, regional dentist. We are forced to do some cases, even though we are unable. So many times we say, hey, this is beyond my thing. You have to go to the see the specialist, and the patient will say, no, doc, I cannot go because of money, because of the time, or because I don't want to travel or extract it. In such cases, we may say, okay, before we extract, can I try? Or so many times patient will say, before I go for extraction, I trust you, you try. And then when we start the process, we could not get a better results for the root canal treatments. In such cases, I realized that I should know when to stop. And I think it is the same experience with many of the dentists. So that's when we realized time is one of the component which we can put it on ourselves and then realize. So many times when I'm doing the extraction, I used to have a break. I used to tell the patient, okay, this tooth looks like uh, loving you. It doesn't want to come out. We want to have a little break. I will go and get a, another instrument. Pop the gauze piece, ask the patient to buy it, and then go out of the room and pretend as if you are looking for a magic instrument. Then when I go out for five minutes and then come back and then approach the same condition with a different view, that's when I started realizing, wow, I can do this. I can do this. I can section here. I can cut the bone here and all this. So those things will not come if you are stressed. That's what I mean. We should know when to stop. And then sometimes we are unable to extract a root piece. Then it is better to let the patient know, hey, guys, in my opinion and experience, it is better to stop here and then seek the specialist advice. Till you see the specialist, I will make sure this area would not get infected. This area will not give you any pain and discomfort. I will make it safe. And then I will arrange for the specialist appointment. If you don't say this, if you just tell, hey, you need to see a specialist and uh, go and see them, then the patient will be stressed. So this is how I used to stop and then tell the patient and then refer, which ended up in leading less 
issues, less complications, less complaints by the patients. And sometimes, yes, we cannot do everything. Then we need to tell, hey, this area, this root canal cannot be done. Let us do the extraction and then do the bridge or the implants all this time. So plan Bs should be always be planned. So many times I do that. Before I extract that wisdom tooth, I will say, if the root is not completely coming up, sometimes we prefer to leave the roots in the bone. It is completely okay to leave a piece of root and uh, I will make sure it is not going to get complicated or it is not get infected. So if you prepare that and then start the process and if you have to leave the root piece, then patient knows that. If you don't tell this particular scenario and then you say, oh, I cannot extract the tooth and I'm leaving the root piece, then the patient will not feel good about it. So that will give the competency part as well as a less stress. It, is, it will not become an excuse, it will become an explanation. That's a, that's a really good point. The last one, I think explanations after the fact are excuses and before the fact are informed consent. So <laughs> very different outcomes, right? You raised a lot of really good points there. I actually love the thing where you put yourself a time limit, for lack of a better word, and you use that as a gauge because it is easy to get lost in that time and end up late and stressed and actually not, and not going forward. And also leaving the room, I've used that for sure. And that's a really good one. I was told by someone, I think when I was a student, a piece of advice was just to leave and, and go wash your hands. And there's something about that, like the cold, the water, I don't know, it just resets a little bit. And like you said, come back with some new eyes and, and maybe some new insights. And maybe the insight is that you need to, you know, close up and refer, but it'll save everybody a lot of stress. Then, so our next point ties in pretty nicely. It's, well, we're all adults here. It's shit happens, what's next? Good point, because things do happen, even even with the best intentions. How do you advise people kind of manage those situations? These things happen, uh, even I, I just particularly use this phrase because it was there on the news channel by one of our previous uh, prime minister who said this. Things happen. That's true. It can happen to prime minister. It can happen to everyone. You know what I mean? So coming back to a dental profession, yes, things not only in dental profession, everywhere. Rockets go up and then fall down. And so many safety factors they consider the things go wrong. So we should be prepared for that. And uh, here I am prepared thinking about three factors. Number one, how to deal with the clients. Educate them and give them the reassurance so that the things won't get. You just go and see the specialist and then it will all be fine. This is not the end of the world or not the world. These words I don't use. Don't think that it is going to give you any trouble. So wait for a specialist opinion or follow up with other things and all the stuff. Number two, the team. Team will be watching us if the things go wrong. We need to talk to the team saying that, hey, this is one of the complications which has happened, which is less than 10% or 5% or whatever it is. But don't stress it because when the patient calls back the next day morning saying that, oh, I had an extraction and I have got a big swelling, then the receptionist gets stressed and the dental assistant who has gone through the journey she will also get stressed if they come to know in a small town in a small practice it does happen and we need to know how to deal with third one is ourselves yes if the things go wrong more than the patient the professionals will be stressed because of two things why did it happen with me and what is going to happen to the patient we will be taking the double the stress so we need to know how to deal with that one. So what would I say is to the patient, assurance, 
next day morning, calling them personally and telling them, don't stress, we will arrange some backup or uh, talk to the specialist or something like that. That's how you need to deal with this patient. Talk to the team members and assure them, don't panic guys, this will all settle down. And we have the plan Bs or uh, we will see the specialist and take their opinion. And ourselves, we need to talk to our uh, colleagues or talk to the mentors, call to the professional indemnity guys, and then they are also very well equipped with the way how to deal with this. They all will help us to calm down. The moment we realize that these things have happened and these things have happened with many people and everyone are all right after happening after these such complications, then it will give a little bit of a calm what do you the word, the consoling effect to us. Otherwise, we will be going to sleep with lots of stress and so many times we cannot go to sleep. And it has happened to me, it has happened to many of the dentists I have seen and it can happen in future also. If we know these are all the some of the things to deal with these things, then our resiliency factor will get better. Yeah, we'll be a lot more resilient in a situation where in the end it is going to happen. We are all going to have complications and situations we didn't foresee and we have to be able to manage it and we have to be able to in the end for both our, our family ourselves and our patients the next patients we need to be able to reset and it's important i think like you said reaching well you know caring for your patient looking after your team and making sure everyone's on the same page and understands caring for yourself talking to your friends talking to your mentors really great great advice talking about i guess mentors and that ties in with education the next one is to how to learn quickly what tips do you have around that? This point works good for everyone in the dental fraternity as well as any professionals. We are all keep on learning till we retire. That's and the whole point, uh, right? That's what keeps yes. it fun. That's what yes, keeps it fun. I know. Yes. And especially for the fresh graduates, it is very much important because they need to learn a lot. They need to learn a lot. As I said, they need to learn about themselves. They need to learn about the clients. They need to learn about the team as well as the business and uh, everything and also they need to learn about dentistry they will be keep on learning how to learn quickly in my opinion we need to put the time frame the moment we put the time frame it works well say for example i want to get better at uh, root canal treatments in three months or in six months in one year what can i do then work backwards number one attend the courses number two do the root canals on the extracted teeth. Number three, contact some of the people who are doing very well. Follow them up on social media. Follow them up on the, these things, something like that. So putting the time limit will speed up the process as well as the commitment. The second thing which I would say is commitment. We say, oh, I want to get better at root canal and then we just follow it for maybe one month and then become slack. You know what I mean? So that's where I would say commitment if you can write and also talk to your friends and talk to your mentors or talk to your business owner or the senior dentist, they will guide you. Hey, you want to get better at the extractions? Come over. I will show you. I'm doing a complicated case in a week's time. Come over and watch. Or they will go above and beyond to guide you if you ask them. So that is another way of uh, learning quickly. Number three is, which uh, I have seen in my experience is, uh, asking the feedback, asking the feedback. Every time I finish a root canal, nowadays I am into implants. So every time I finish a implant case, I'll do the photograph from start to finish and I have got very good mentors. I'll send it to them. 
and then they will let me know how can I improve, where I need to get better, which stage is more important, all the stuff. So taking the feedback from the mentors or the friends or these things, uh, that's what will also make you better. So learning quickly, these are the, some of my tips. I think all of those are fantastic points. I really, really like that time frame as a like conceptual time limit or not limit, but like I'm going to do this by this time. And uh, it, it sounds novel for someone listening, but to me that is actually quite a profound shift because I hear a lot of people talk about, I myself talk about definitely setting like topics for the certain time frame. So you might be learning or wanting to focus on restorative and communication in your first year out. I've not used the mind shift of I need to learn it by this time and how am I going to work back to make sure I've achieved that goal by that time. I really love that. I think that's um, a fantastic point. The mentors, you know, sending it to your mentors as well. Most dentists, like most people that you know, you know, your mentors above you or whatever, they love to teach. It's in the end, teaching in some ways strokes <laughs> the ego of the person who's listening. So, um, yeah, it's a very important thing. And most people say yes. Yes, I know. There are so many wonderful people in the profession. They are happy to share their experience, knowledge, and uh, their, their tips. Just you need to ask. That's where you need to connect. First, you need to connect to them and then the things open. Absolutely. All of us, we want to do great dentistry, but in the end, we want to make a difference to our patients or just patients in general. And that's another way that you can make a difference. So most people want to do it. All right. So the last point of being a resilient dentist, but it kind of, I assume it ties everything together, is five E's and three R's for professional success. So tell us a bit about that one. Oh, it's uh, one of my one day lecture, I should say. I usually talk this to all my dentists who join my surgery, as well as I spend at least two hours to three hours talking about this to all the team members who is joining our surgery. Dental assistants, receptionists, everyone. So five E's, which is our uh, uh, vision statement or which are the values of our surgeries are education, ethics, excellence, efficiency, and experience, that is the patient experience. So for anyone to be successful, we need to educate ourselves, learn a skill, learn a trade, learn a, a, a topic. Then after learning that, that is education, after learning that we should apply that knowledge ethically. That means whatever we are offering to, or uh, whatever we can offer to our own family members, that we should offer to our clients as well. After provide, after once we decide what type of service we are ethically offering, we should be the best at it. That is where the excellence comes into picture. Once we are providing the excellence, efficiency comes into picture. Efficiency means time, money, and resources. We should not kill the efficiency part in the name of excellence. That's what I've seen many times in my case, as well as many of our dentists. We will be spending two, three hours for just polishing one composite. Restorations, it's not bad, but are we time efficient, resource efficient, and money efficient? Because especially most of the fresh graduates or even for the employee dentists or the contracts, they will be spending a lot of time and a lot of time on a procedure we have to ask, are we doing justice to my business who is spending time, money, and resources for my job? 
So that's what I have seen. Don't kill the efficiency in the name of excellence. I would say dentists have a bad habit of looking at everything with a 10x magnification. And then we'll be keep on doing the stuff and spending lots of time for one procedure. It's not bad. We should be excellent, but we should not try to be perfectionists. We should have a good, say, excellent quality, but perfection may kill our efficiency. The fourth one is in the name of giving the efficient work, in the name of giving the excellent work, we should not neglect the patient's experience. Dental fraternity has scarred the people by their needles, by their drills, and by their uh, mannerism of uh, doing the procedure. It is global. I'm not saying only in Australia, everywhere, back home in India, UK, America, everywhere I have my friends and spoken to them and the patient's experience, I have seen the research. So we need to do the procedure in such a way that the patient feels, wow, I had a good experience. I would come back. So these are the five E's I am working on. And all my team members are, everyone should follow this. And no matter which industry you take, this is this works good. Let it be a Uber driver or let it be a plastic surgeon. We all should do the same thing. Provide the best experience for our customers. I think that's a fantastic way to sum up yes. what you're trying to achieve both in your business, but for each of us as clinicians, it's equally important. And the three R's. The three R's are the reappointment and uh, referrals and uh, reviews. No matter what we do, our clients should come back to us with happiness or with what you call trust all those things and our customers should refer their friends and family to us so that we can grow not only that they should be so happy that they should go and write our reviews on us on the social media so if we do our job follow these five e's we can easily achieve the reappointment rate or reviews or uh, referrals so that uh, we can provide the best XP, best dental services to all of our customers and grow. Yeah, that, that really sums it up, I think, because in the end, if you are providing a good experience through doing the rest of the E's, the R's should be easy. And that's all about connection. And that's like point one ties in really well with point 10, which is, I think for some associates, they feel like maybe that's not really their job. But in the end, your job is to serve your patients well and have people coming back to you or the practice and referring and it very very much is your job to build the practice because the practice is you if you're the associate i just absolutely love the way you've laid this out i think the the framework the way you think this through clearly the way you've shared this with your team over the years and and the what you're going to be sharing you know more in-depth, although this was pretty nicely in-depth, a more in-depth webinar or two actually coming up. I really want to say thank you for doing that for the profession and for your team. And frankly, it's given me some insight. I think it's wonderful. Tell us, um, when are the uh, webinars? I know this is a podcast that may be listened to for years to come, but when are the webinars that are coming up? And how would someone reach out or connect if they were interested? I popped this small advertisement on the BPR and I asked about 30 members. So we got more than 65 people registered. So first uh, webinar will be on the 14th of January. And uh, two weeks later, I will be taking only 30 members in that day. Otherwise, if I take more people, some of them may have questions. 
or something like that. I cannot uh, answer all of them. So that's why we divided it to two groups. So first 30 people will be, first webinar will be on the 14th of January, 9 o'clock. The second webinar will be 4th of February. And if I get more registration, maybe after two weeks later, I may open one more page. So yeah, these are all available on DPR. What if you get 500 registrants? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see if that yeah. happens, then nothing wrong in opening a couple more days. And that is one of my passion, like teaching. My mother was a teacher. My grandfather was in the education department. I was teaching in the dental uni. So I love teaching. Put it like this. I'm not teaching. I'm sharing my experience. This is one way of putting my uh, giving back to the profession. I absolutely love that. I resonate very strongly with it. And I can see the smile on your face when you say it. So I can tell it's very real. Now, I always like to finish a podcast with a question that everyone has a different answer. And I know we've gone through a lot of tips already. But the question is, if you could speak to every single graduate out there and teach them just one thing, what would be that thing that you'd want everyone to know? Okay, put it like this. That's a wonderful question. I've been doing this. I usually say three things. Number one, Dentistry is not only service, it is a business. You need to treat it as a 50% service and 50% business. That's when it will be efficient, no matter where you are working. We are working for yourself, working in a private practice, working in the public sector. You should pay attention to the efficiency part. That is number one. Number two, don't stress yourself because there is no limit in achieving the excellence, achieving the money, achieving all the stuff. So don't stress and don't compare yourself with others. The third one is things go wrong, don't take it serious. These are the three things I would say. I think that's fantastic. That really sums it up. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Raghu Chanapati. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for doing these webinars for graduates this year. It's 2024. I look forward to seeing and hearing more. And also, I should say thank you very much, David. You are doing a wonderful job, even with your busy schedule with the two little kids <laughs> and uh, so many things happening in your life. You are taking uh, time off and then trying to put uh, uh, dedicated time to giving back to the community, dental, dental fraternity. You are doing a wonderful job. Thank I you. should appreciate and uh, you are a good man. Well, I want to say thank you and thank you to the team that gets Dental Head Start across the line because without them, it would never happen. So thank you. Have a wonderful night. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.